Chapter One of My Flirtations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. My Flirtations by Ella Hepworth Dixon. One. The first one, the very first one. Well, I almost think it was a sallow, undersized Italian with handsome ox eyes who used to give us violin lessons, or else it was a cousin, a boy with sandy hair, who stammered and who was reading for the army. But no, I rather think it was the anxious young doctor who came when I had the measles. Anyhow, he, the primeval one, is lost in the midst of antiquity. A great many people come to our house, and they have always done so as long as I can recollect father is a royal academician and paints shocking bad portraits but the british public is quite unaware of the fact the british public likes to be painted by a royal academician so it pays large prices and is hung on the line in the big room at burlington house they all come red-faced red-coated m f h s the bejewelled wives of manchester millionaires young beauties heads of colleges the celebrities of the day they all sit with the same fixed eyes and the same tight smile on the dais in our gorgeous studio the studio is an imposing room father likes me to sit in the alcove with the golden mosaics on a peach-coloured divan with turquoise blue cushions and on show sunday christina is seen in a little white gown in the oaken gallery playing dreamy voluntaries on the organ it looks idyllic and nobody knows that there has usually been a family row shortly before the people begin crowding in christina is tart of tongue and is not to be put down by a mere parent but i was speaking of the studio there is a perfection of detail about the vast apartment which is impressive indeed so fascinating a workshop has father fashioned for himself that i have seen a dozen people inspecting the brocades and spindle-legged tables and forgetting to look at the pictures on the easels the overworked critics too about the beginning of april are apt to gush inordinately over a nankeen bowl full of daffodils while they turn their backs on a portrait that has taken the best part of a year to paint we live in a nest of artists next door they paint oriental subjects and hire a dusky arab more or less genuine who wears a turban and opens the front door at tea-parties a dozen yards farther up the street they supply the thoroughly english idol young ladies in white muslin sitting on september lawns young gentlemen in riding breeches who are either accepted or rejected just opposite they do see pictures the old woman shading her eyes with her hand the young woman in despair with a careless infant at her knee and all the houses are of red brick with gables and white wood balconies and queer little windows in unexpected places our front doors are painted a pale sea-green with brass knockers and bell-handles on show sunday the british public wanders in and out sublimely ignorant of whether it is the house of smith r a or robinson a r a and yet ours is the only studio with an organ during the season we give sunday dinner parties followed by an open evening and we also entertain the sitters at lunch some of the sitters have been known to want to hear me play the violin i play execrably but they are too polite to say so all this rather bores christina whose latest hobby socialism takes up most of her time christina can be on occasion almost brutally cynical but then she is clever and when i want to get out of a scrape i go to her mother would not be of the faintest use under such circumstances she would get pink and flurried and tell me that she married my father at seventeen and settled down after that 
and would further inform me that she had no patience with such philandering poor mother i really pity her limited experience it must be like eternally dining off roast mutton to marry at seventeen and settle down dully and respectably for the rest of your natural life i was christened margaret but most people call me peggy it is a curious fact that all my friends call me by different names some call me miss winman others margaret while miss peggy and peggy do duty more often one young man but he was an american always addressed me as peggy winman a form of appellation by the by which usually prefaced a lecture gilbert mandel called me marguerite gilbert mandel is one of the dear departed not that he is dead oh no i call them the dear departed when it is all over and they have betaken themselves to india or japan or to the east end to work among the people it is not flattering to one's vanity but it must be frankly owned that as a rule my admirers depart with phenomenal celerity their devotion generally lasts from six weeks to three months why this thing should be i cannot tell some people say it is because i don't let them talk about themselves i really think christina objected less to gilbert mandel than to any of those who have come after him if he savoured slightly of the prig she maintained he was neither a knave nor a fool christina doesn't care for young men my principal objection to him was that he was associated in my imagination with drains of course one cannot help the particular way in which one's parent has made a fortune but considering his son's taste for smart society and intellectual pursuits it was thoughtless of mandel pere to poke his deodorizing powder in one's eye at every turn poor young man how he must have suffered mandel's superior pink carbolic disinfectant powder screamed at you so to speak at every street corner the legend of its multifarious virtues was writ large on every omnibus it flared in connection with a plump lady in full ball costume from every hoarding of course there were lots of people even when he was at cambridge who knew nothing of the deodorizer but it always hung like a modern sort of damocles over poor gilbert's head it made him diffident where he should have been at ease it made him malicious when it would have been to his social advantage to appear kindly but even at cambridge he had given unmistakable signs of being a superior person he could repeat to a nicety the shibboleth of superior people he knew when to let fall a damaging phrase about the poetical fame of mr lewis morris and when to insinuate a paradox about the great and only stendhal in art he generally spoke of velasquez and degas in music only the tetralogies of Bayreuth were worth discussion mr mandel was a pessimist that was what attracted me first for at seventeen a girl is always impressed by any cynical man of the world who will notice her and gilbert mandel noticed me a good deal he said i was suggestive whatever that meant and that my mind was receptive and then he began to lend me books by mr walter pater which i remember perplexed me very much he also sent me george meredith's novels and there was even a volume of schopenhauer i remember which i used to pretend i had read in appearance he was a middle-sized man of thirty-four with rather pink cheeks and a slightly bald forehead his hands were fleshy and white and had exquisitely pared and polished nails a manicure usually attended to his hands he always had the newest scandal and sometimes when he was going to say something specially malicious he hesitated a little in his speech not from any false shame but because he was so delighted with what he was going to say 
for the rest he was always beautifully dressed and generally affected fashions which were coming in he had two secret ambitions to dine with the duchess and to write an article in the contemporary review looking back at it now it strikes me that gilbert mandell had quaint notions about amusing a young girl he used to take us for long afternoons at the south kensington museum where we gazed at persian tiles and japanese ivories and illuminated missiles until my eyes ached and christina roundly declared she wouldn't stay another minute then gilbert would look at us from under his drooping eyelids with a surprised little stare he was never tired of art and how christina was bored she came from a stern sense of duty and because as she frankly said the thing wouldn't do poor christina she was destined to see many such as mr gilbert mandell come and go other days it would be the national gallery he never went inside modern exhibitions of pictures in london where i learnt a good deal about velasquez and holbein and france Halles. it is from that period that my suspicion dates that father does not know how to paint pictures he came to our house a good deal father laughed at his clothes and his manners but said he was a sharp fellow while mother was amused with his little stories about smart society into which by great assiduity he had managed to effect a sort of entrance in mayfair they knew nothing of the deodorizer mandell senior lived in a mansion in surrey where he cultivated orchids and pineapples and the world knew nothing of him the son on the other hand had charming rooms in st james where he gave frequent tea-parties which were sparsely attended by a handful of modish women interlarded with thin youngish old men who spent their lives criticising the critics and whose claim to immortality lay in a memoir of lamb or coleridge somehow or other these parties were not hilarious the elements did not mix and mr mandell was a somewhat flurried nervous host the day that an ambassadress came to tea his distraction was almost painful gilbert mandell was an example of that extremely modern mixture a man of fashion and a critic indeed his respect for smart women was only equalled by his adoration for the log rollers of the saturday review i have never made out to this day why he noticed me christina says he must have had a depraved taste for schoolgirls or else he thought by taking the raw material of a woman so to speak he might fashion a companion to his taste he tried hard to cultivate my mind he was always writing to me that was another odd thing about gilbert mandell an ordinary young man looks upon pens and paper with deep-rooted suspicion and distrust i have had more than one flirtation carried on solely by telegram but mr mandell was always writing me long epistles very carefully worded and in a semi-literary style i remember i was very proud of those letters they flattered me in a young girl's most vulnerable point they implied that my opinion was worth having i don't know whether it was that or his pronounced pessimism which attracted me most he was also fond of implying as he pointed out with a white hand some masterpiece of the florentine school or sat murmuring paradoxes over the tea-table that there were places and things which we should see in the future together there is a little town in italy orvieto he said one afternoon when christina and i had been listening to a disquisition on the renaissance where i must take you one day marguerite you must see the facade of the cathedral orvieto is an education in art it long remained vague but one day 
it was a very wet day i remember and we were coming back in a hansom from the national gallery he alluded in a roundabout sort of way to an organ he was pleased to call his heart then it struck me all at once that it was impossible it was not the deodorizer that i minded i think it was the pinkness of his nails and a certain complacent way which he had of regarding me which irritated me when it came to a question of a life-long interview i suppose i must have said no and possibly with some fervour smiling vaguely he took my hand he evidently did not believe me i won't hurry you dear child he said as he left me on my doorstep you will think it over you will be able to make up your mind by and by but i never made up my mind that i wanted to marry mr mandell not long after he came to say that he was going abroad at first he wrote pretty often and as usual his letters were semi-literary though to be sure the burning question was discussed from various points of view but to my relief the letters got more and more literary as time went on and finally they stopped altogether End of chapter one